The past few months, events have seemed to be happening faster than I could process them. The number of deaths in the United States has just crossed 100,000. Every day brings something new. A police officer was charged with murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. And yet I felt the need to find some way to slow down and reflect on what was happening in my country, in my world, and even in my soul. And how to make sense of it all in light of my own faith in Jesus. Hope is faith about the future. I reached out to my friend and teacher, Greg Garner. It was from our conversation that thoughts, theological considerations during COVID, was conceived. We decided that the kind of out loud processing of events that we were doing might be helpful to others who are also trying to understand their world and their faith. Light-filled, image-bearing, hopeful people. Hello, everyone. I'm Benjamin Reese, your host. I think what struck me most about the following conversation was how Greg described the ways that people avoid the discomfort of spending time with themselves, just how restless and uncomfortable we are with being human. This resonated with me, as I imagine it will with you. COVID has forced people to spend more time with themselves and their thoughts. And in this conversation, we discuss what a true encounter with oneself could mean for us as individuals and for us as part of a community. This recording will contain Zoom artifacts as it was recorded during the stay-at-home orders in our state. Hey, Greg, good to see you. Uh, I just wanted to pick up from our conversation from last time talking about some of the challenges being faced during this historical period. I think one of the interesting things that got brought up was how this historical period highlights our very human need to be seen and to be known and to form a sense of community. I think if they're at all critical or reflective, question how we've set things up in our in our world in a way that often isolates people, in a way that often makes people feel like they aren't being seen, which calls for us to reimagine different ways of interacting with one another, different ways of building structures where people can find that need being satiated in their in their world. But you know, for right now, we're having to reimagine those things and use our imaginations to create a sense of belonging within a digital space in a lot of ways through the mediation of technology. And I, I would like to sort of continue on with thinking, kind of allowing this as a space for us to activate our imaginations and think through how people can best um, find that sense of community within the mediation of digital technologies and then uh, how they can best not allow the craziness of the historical moment and the possible isolation to negatively impact them in terms of their mental health. So I guess to kick it off to you, uh, what have you seen, just because you, you get to interact with a lot of people, what have you seen as some unhealthy ways that people have tried to find some sense of community or being seen? Huh. Well, I think what's interesting is that you now have a planet that is having to digitally orient where still a good portion of the planet has been able to remain analog to a great degree. Hmm. Even folks could protest digital venues for 
community or fellowship because they knew that they were going to see someone for dinner or gather at church on Sunday and see more folks. They could go to that concert on Friday. Like they have these outlets that satiated the need for connection. What is interesting is to observe how you've got adults who are entering into what Gen Z kids have been born into. Hmm. The mental health impact of the digital communities that now exist, whether Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, and I guess Facebook's for our grandmas now, but <laughs> there is a very real mental health consequence to engaging life in such a fabricated universe, especially one that we can at least seem in a very ostensible sense to have control And people have highlighted that. I mean, we wouldn't be the first to talk about the ability to filter and edit and create an image that we find acceptable. I mean, anybody who's on a Zoom chat is going to confront their own issue with staring at themselves versus staring at the person they're actually talking to. And then (laughs) an uncomfortable narcissism that we all, at least I have, because I'm I'm staring at yourself. (laughs) I think it's a human thing. Wisdom would have offered us an opportunity to make self-reflective moments in every day so that we had a time to philosophically look in the mirror, see ourselves, understand ourselves. The boom of technology with the increased economic busyness, such times have not been made and people have been able to survive by substituting a time of meditation and prayer. The time to just turn everything off and think. Like right now, for whatever reason, even though I silenced my devices, they're beeping all over the place. There are studies that show what negative impact those beeps have on our ability to concentrate and our ability to communicate. It can't ever become a part of a human norm, but we are allowing ourselves to turn cyborg allowing for the beeps and the noise and all of this technology to supplement our identity. So that now, instead of a meditative prayer in the morning, we substitute it with a reflective Instagram post. Like the difference between praying to God and then praying in front of everyone is huge. Jesus had a lot to say about it. He's like, you know, don't be like the Pharisees. They like stand on the street corners and they pray in a way that everybody gets to hear them. And he's highlighting that there's a problem with that effort. I mean, sure, everyone gets to see it. You get to observe their piety. You get to observe their affections. You get to hear them wax intellectual about whatever it is that's preoccupying their headspace. But there's a difference between that and talking to God, because when you talk to God, God who has blessed us with his invisibility now makes us have to look into a mirror that is very different than the ones we see physically. Because like even right now, when you and I are talking through this Zoom format, I'm having to look at an image of myself. That is not me. It's an image of me. You know, in fact, right now I'm raising my right hand, but in the image, that's my left hand. Hmm. There's even like image distortion that comes with perspective. If the camera's lens isn't able to capture the bottom part of my torso, then it, it can even expand and fisheye my pecs at this point, which is like, hey, Greg, working out, but it's just a distorted lens. It's easy for us as human beings to confuse who we are with the image that we project. Yeah, it's, it's a good example with the, the difference in prayer because the presence of somebody who prays 
and connects with God in that way, you can tell they are engaged in spirituality in a way that could never be captured in an image. And yet, you know, we confuse putting an image onto Instagram that says that we're praying for the fruit that is supposed to be observable, but in a, in a sort of non-material way. Yeah, and people have gotten too comfortable with this. In my opinion, it's lending itself over to our discombobulation, the, the confusion that we feel because the flesh is insatiable. You can't get people to like it enough. You can't get enough views. You can't get enough people applauding you and, and loving you and telling you you're the best. We were not created to be satiated with human approval. We need to find ourselves pleasing God. We need to hear God say, I'm pleased with you. I mean, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, in the book of Luke, it says in chapter three, after a time of prayer, he discerned the father saying, son, I'm well pleased with you. And if we don't set aside time to stand before the invisible God, who again, us being created in his image and us knowing that we are his image in the same way I'm looking at my image here, I'm the real version of who that image is there. And if I want that image to become real, it needs to now recognize its position before me. If I was comfortable with the real, I'd take off the fuzzy filter thing. If I was comfortable with the real, I would not go through the extra preparations of sitting before a camera because, you know, some folks go as far as even in a Zoom meeting, they're going to put on a bunch of makeup and make themselves presentable. But when you stand before God, you now have the image, the person whom you are an image of, and now you are confronted with matching. And I think that people, because they don't make time like that, they don't enter into the incredibly humbling position of matching the one whose image you've been created in. That as an image bearer, there's a conformation, Romans 8, 29, to the image of God's son that Jesus so fully embodied that has to take place. But if our reflection is now, again, this virtual image that I put out in the cyberspace of which now other people's virtual identities are interacting with, and I expect to gain some kind of satisfaction out of that, my soul remains parched. My soul is not going to feel satisfied by drinking up that virtual water. It's only, in my opinion, exacerbating the problem. Now, that's not to say that digital mediums are inherently evil. That's not the case at all. But it is to say that it is, like many things in our world, an idol that can take our energy, of which we have limited amounts, and then we put it into that venue thinking we could get a return from it the way that we can only get a return from God. So do you think the, the missed opportunity in a lot of people's lives are their unwillingness to use this time to engage in pri private times of meditation and prayer? Absolutely. But I think it's even more complex than that, because I think that when people do that, they can be so uncomfortable with themselves. Hmm. I think what people would feel emerge in them is a restlessness. They feel a restlessness emerge with them, and then they're going to feel like a need for change. And it goes back to the escapism we were talking about. They're going to want to escape the, the tent that they're in, the skin, the covering. It's, it's like um, when, when a person back in the day had an iPod, and you could get those different skin coverings for it. And it felt like you had a new iPod by just <laughs> changing the skin. Yeah. 
We can't do that as human beings. But again, technology, even earlier forms of technology, like uh, roads and such, did that to society. But today, the predictors are all saying that now working from home is going to become part of a new norm and it's going to change where people can even make a living. They can live wherever they want. As long as they've got a broadband signal, they're going to be able to sustain themselves. In my opinion, idolatry related to this falsified version of independence that's going to emerge. When in fact, I think it's not a human consciousness. It's an artificial consciousness that has been rooted in us, planted in us. Jesus would talk about it in his day, he'd say the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And he would say it was like thorns that would choke out the word of God. Well, for us today, it's still there. It's still an issue, but it's now come out so that if you are feeling that restlessness and, and you're having to confront yourself and you don't like what you see, it's time to now do what the first man and woman did. The woman you gave me, God, she's the one who's at fault. And then the woman, no, it was the serpent or this, this rational temptation for acquiring a, a knowledge I shouldn't have access to, but seems a lot better than waiting around for the kind of life God wants to give us. That blame shifting seems to be our proclivity as human creatures. And when you set that in the context of someone who's uncomfortable in their own skin, now the serpent becomes very attractive. You know, the, the Hebrew term, you can help me, is it arumin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. arumin. Yep. Yeah. It, it also sounds real similar to, to shiny. Mm -hmm. That shininess had to do with the serpent's skin and this amazing thing that has fascinated people throughout the ages and that the serpent seems to have this ability to reinvent itself. That it can, it, like the iPod, put on a new skin and that new skin is shiny. And when the serpent is cast in that moment, in that story that God is giving us wisdom on, there is something about novelty of self. That serpent is casting personified voice to the internal contemplations of any human being who is confronting their finiteness, limited in our nature. And we're saying, what do I need to know so that I can have, and she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye, so I can have beautiful things. She saw that it was good for food, so I can experience sustainability and security, and that it was it had a desire to make one wise, so that I can appear successful and like I've made the right decisions in life. We're all contemplating that by nature as human creatures, and it is again personified in the novelty of becoming a new you, a new self. I mean, we do it in the flesh. You see, people, we look at these beautiful aging movie stars. Like as a kid watching Friends. You know, in college, I thought Courtney Cox was so beautiful. I still think she would be, but her, like lots of celebrities, started doing a little bit of this here and a little bit of that there. And now they get so lost in what image they had that you look at them now, my response is like, <laughs> like it's, I, I, I can't even believe that she made a decision like that. All because, again, when you're confronted with looking at yourself, your aging self, with the corruptible nature of our human creatureliness, you want something new. You want to escape. You want to change. And rather than entering into the suffering, because there's nobody who's going to be able to engage genuine human community without entering into the suffering of genuine human relationships. Mm -hmm. And there's no way you're going to enter into that suffering until you've had conflict. It's our society, our generation has nurtured a conflict aversant people. People do not want to have to meet someone who's not like them and work through it.
and talk through it and find out how to be committed and love one another within the context of what you can without having to infringe your own agenda on someone else. Christians, I'd say, are in the top at doing terrible at this. And we do it in the name of our value systems. We'll say it's evangelicalism. We'll say it's preaching the gospel. And sometimes it's more like impatience and the desire to win. And again, to project an image rather than to be the image of the merciful, loving God. To be the image of the merciful, loving God who gives his sunshine and his rain on the just and the unjust, who is not a discriminator of persons, but instead is a loving God. We don't get there. We don't get there because we're too uncomfortable in our skins and we're contemplating at the tree what knowledge we need so that now we can avoid standing before God and having to look at what we could become. And when we don't get to stand before God and look at what we become, we end up thinking we're a lot more than what we are. And that's what I really like about Romans 12 when it talks about right before it gets into analogizing a community in Christ to a body. It says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but that sober judgment is necessary to apply. By doing that, we could as an individual recognize that God intended us for community, that God intended us for collaboration. But that community was never supposed to be made up of everybody being the same, looking the same, but it's a bunch of different members who are all individuals who have learned to love one another. And that is the fight, man. That is where the suffering begins. That's the message of the cross. The love of God culminates in this image of suffering because he wants to demonstrate to us. That's what Romans 5, 6 through 8 highlights. God demonstrates his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This demonstration of love can't be untied from the image of the cross and the suffering of the Christ. And so we, having to confront that image of God in Christ and then look in the mirror as to what we could become, because again, it's not about the image on the screen anymore. It's about getting along with God and looking at who he is and then saying, wow, I need, I lack, I am humbled. I want to show mercy as I need mercy. I want to be gracious as I need grace. I want to support others because I need support. I want to tell the truth because I expect others to tell the truth to me. I want to still give regard to the sanctities like marriage and people's right to their own property. You know, I'm basically rephrasing the Ten Commandments. If we don't have what I do believe this time has given us an opportunity for, and that is sitting before God, looking in the mirror. I think you highlighted well the kind of the geography of dangers that are involved in this time period as far as we have more time by ourselves, which leads to a confrontation of ourselves, which can cause us to be tempted to focus on those external things that we can control by ourselves. And we are now interacting with each other through these technological mediums that allow for more control. And it can just cause us to run in the opposite direction of where we need to be going, which is to let God do what only God can do, which is to conform us to his image. I definitely feel that at a very personal level. 
that that conflict is a daily reality. Yeah, I, I think that such will be the result of anyone who takes the time to actually engage God. You will be confronted with incredible lack, but at the same time, being confronted with a God whose son revealed to us that we should address him as father should give us a lot of hope in that we're not abandoned, that we're not alone, that we have a guide in all of this, someone to walk us through a life that could be characterized by suffering. We count these afflictions, but light compared to the glory that's to be revealed. And going back to the third chapter, Romans, all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The context of the communication is that in and of ourselves, we're not enough to reflect the image of God without coming to God and allowing God to conform us to that image so that we can experience the glory of God in our own lives. While again, I think that technological mediums have their place, they should be filled with a bunch of image bearers who are able to speak not out of self, because I think that is the trap. The trap with all this self-reflection and like really inability to confront ourselves, it ends up making us escape and run to the novelty, but also run into a version of what it is that we think we need to be rather than who it is that we are. Because in the end, we don't feel accepted. We don't feel that we are enough. We could even say, yeah, I think I could become enough if these things are in place, but the Father God who loves us doesn't think that at all. And it's such a devastating experience for a father, for a parent, for a mother to have a child who doesn't want to explore their identity with them. Imagine that breakfast conversation. You happen to get up early and your mom's out there and she's got her breakfast and everybody else is still in bed. I mean, what an opportunity, right? What mom is going to turn away the curious child who is not just nagging her for something they want, but is now asking her, hey, mom, what are you reading? Hey, mom, what do you see is happening in the world today? Mom, how do you think that should be affecting me? What an incredible conversation. Is this not what prayer should be? Yeah. The anxiety that so many people are under right now, when we read something like Philippians 4 and that we shouldn't be anxious for anything, it's funny, we stop there. (laughs) We just don't be anxious for anything, period. And it's like, okay. But it says, but there's a contrasting conjunctive that says what your attitude should be. So you can't just stop being anxious. You don't have to take the same energy that was going towards anxiety and put it into prayer and supplication and petitions to the Lord. But you're not going to do that with God if you're not yet comfortable with your need, with yourself. Gosh, how many parents around the United States looking at their kids and their needs and their summer programming and what's going to happen for them next year in school. And they themselves are out of work and they're feeling so much need, but they're supposed to be the ones to be strong for their kids or for the isolation that's taking place with folks who need the community of an other, but in their own household, they don't have the family structures. So they are thrust into these horrible self-fulfilling prophecies about eternal elements of loneliness and despair. It's just paralyzing if those same people, all of them, would just go sit before a loving father who will tell them that they're enough 
through prayers and supplications, he'll speak. And the things he's going to speak, they're going to be consistent with his word. They're not just going to be things that lend themselves over to escapism. It's just pure novelty for the sake of reinventing yourself. God isn't looking to turn us into Madonna, who is notoriously infamous for reinventing herself through every decade. I'm sure we can name quite a few people like that and celebrity them. That's not what God's going to do with us. Instead, he's going to have us, like the scripture we looked at in the last episode, look at the suffering, face it with endurance, develop character through it so that we become the hopeful people who, by the way, when you're that person, now you're imaging God. Because that's what he is. And I love that about our God. Like he's, as our father, our parent, the hope he has in where we could go. The reason why God wants to turn away from idols is because they zap all of our energy. And all of our energy goes over to these idols that where there's no return of investment. Where if we invest ourselves into the Lord, he makes us the hopeful person. And we become the hopeful people who now regenerate possibility within our current context. Like we don't really need civil engineers to come in and tell us, here's the future of new neighborhoods, though that would be important. We don't need it when we have a bunch of light-filled, image-bearing, hopeful people who are trying to turn that neighborhood into the place it still can become. I don't think a human being in and of themselves, even in the best of ourselves, can find the hope, which will create the strength to be able to manifest that hopeful reality. That's really good. I I think people are going to be encouraged to engage with God in a in a real way that produces discomfort, but is also a very real experience. And I, I think people are craving something real. You know, your your life can feel very unreal when it's in front of a screen all day, and you can feel very uh, yeah just disconnected. But coming before God is uh, a, a very real experience. And people who have engaged with it know it engages or it fills a need in us that nothing else can. So I, I think um, I think it's it's very good to think about that in in relationship to this historical moment from turning away from idols and seeking the living God who's going to meet us today. It's exciting. It is exciting. If I can end with this text, I think a lot of people know it from Isaiah forty. It says, "But for those who hope in the Lord, He renews their strength." strength comes after that hope and that hope is going to come through that process, but only with God on the other side of the screen. Have a good day, Ben. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been thoughts, theological considerations during COVID. In our next episode, we continued the conversation about isolation and loneliness and the self by turning to the topic of prayer and meditation, and how it can be one way to use our aloneness productively, and how it can even help us guard ourselves from our own troubled heart. Let's talk soon.